Hello everyone, this is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King, a book podcast that nerds out to the literary diamonds in King's underrated works. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to an extra special Stephen King television episode where we're going to be examining hot off the presses the brand new adaptation of Stephen King's 1978 novel, The Stand. We have a limited series that just dropped yesterday, the 17th, on CBS All Access, and I watched it, and I have some thoughts, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a time of excitement and rejoicing in the Stephen King community, so I wanted to uh, share some thoughts on the episode, um, and that's what we're going to do today. So, uh, warnings, we are going to have some mild spoilers on content from the novel. So if you've read The Stand, you should be fine, but if you kind of want to be kept in the dark as far as the episode is concerned, let's go ahead and wait until you've watched it and then I won't feel bad about, you know, uh, revealing anything for you. So uh, what I've decided to do is I really love discussing Stephen King adaptations, but I'm much more focused and passioned on the novels. Ergo, uh, we're not going to do extensive coverage on the show. I'm thinking what we might do as a podcast is we're going to do the pilot episode. We're just going to share some thoughts on the pilot and then I think maybe we'll do a mid-season or a finale. So we might just do pilot and finale coverage because there are a lot of tremendous Stephen King podcasts and other shows out there covering episode by episode, really every blink and twitch of a character, they're going to be covering it, and uh, I would much rather get ready for my Dark Tower journey as the Gunslinger is going to be coming up here really soon. So uh, we're going to stick to the novels here, but I did want to share some thoughts on The Stand because it is uh, Master King's one of his most prolific works, maybe one of his most recognizable works in addition to It and The Shining and Salem's Lot. Like this is a powerhouse uh, Stephen King novel that has really captivated readers for a very long time. And so I just wanted to uh, talk about it a little bit with you. So that's what we're going to do and discuss the pilot. Uh, So we do have a little bit of Kimsey confession time before we go further. I must admit to all of you that, unfortunately, I have not finished reading The Stand. I know, for shame, very not proud to admit that, but we are about rigorous honesty on this podcast as well as radical acceptance, and so I just wanted to come clean and let you guys know that, unfortunately, I'm not super credible in expertise on The Stand because I only finished half of it. I know that that's kind of like 
people are shaking their heads. It happens. It, you know, I think this was a couple years ago. I embarked on the stand and I had the expanded edition for many of us in the community. The first edition of the stand released in 1978 was around 800 pages. And then in 1990, there was an expanded edition released that had an additional like almost 400 pages added. So I had the expanded edition. Very excited to start it. I think this must have been 2017-ish when I began. And I finished half of it and kind of stopped or rather life got in the way when I got to the part where everybody made it to Mother Abigail's farm in Hemingford home. And then for whatever reason, life happened and it kind of uh, fell by the wayside a little bit. So I have only half finished the stand novel. However, what I have done is watched the entire 1994 miniseries that was on ABC, saw that a couple times, so I'm pretty familiar with the overall plot on how it all goes down, as well as um, some pivotal moments, character arcs, stuff like that. So that's where we're at with that. However, unfortunately, I have not finished the entire stand novel. That will definitely happen down the road as I feel I just need to start completely over, which I think I might be excited to do anyway and just start over um, with fresh eyes. So having said that, take all that into account as we talk about this first episode. So I watched it with my 60-year-old mother, who is not necessarily a Stephen King fan, but we watched it together wearing surgical masks uh, for safety, and that has to be one of the most unique <laughs> viewing experiences I've had thus far. So we watched it, and she really enjoyed it, as did I. But what we're going to do is just keep it really simple, Simon, and we're going to look at the pros and the cons just according to my own thoughts. So overall, I enjoyed it. However, friends, what I have noticed, unfortunately, is that a lot of the press done, uh, written about this pilot or the first couple episodes is a little bit on the negative side, which is concerning to me. Um, however, I think that, you know, Stephen King adaptations can not always be favorable press-wise, but then they're ultra beloved in the Stephen King reader community. So we'll have to see what happens. But although overall, I really did enjoy the pilot, I also have some concerns or really just observations. So I want to talk first about the pros. I always want to start with what I feel is working, what I really enjoyed. So one of the first things I super duper loved about the pilot episode is that the virus Captain Trips was not the main focus. I really enjoyed that. I was really glad that the show did not take a typical disaster movie path where it's just a lot of focus on the virus, reaction to the virus. I mean, granted, given the, uh, the climate we're in, I was 
kind of relieved for that in general. Um, but I was glad it didn't go the disaster movie route and it just kind of remained in this character-focused zone. So the virus was really back burner and we were mostly focusing on these people that the show was introducing. So I was very glad about that. Also, one of the most recognizable, memorable, uh, visually visceral details for me in the Stand novel, I think that goes for everybody, is how gross Captain Trips is in terms of what it does to the physical body before you die very quickly, mind you. And that's the bloated goiter that you get and it's so gross and it's such a horror it's a wonderful horror element i think and it's they totally executed it so well guys they really did uh so the bloated goiter has a large presence in the uh, Captain Tripp's symptoms, and I just felt so close to the source material because I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, it's so gross, I forgot about that. Um, I even noticed that on some of the uh, camera pans over the corpses that some were black in the face, um, like the rot of of the black swollenness and I was like oh yeah that's so I really felt that it was honoring the horrifying descriptions of Captain Trips so the bloated goiter I was really glad to see that in some of the yucky moments with our characters who are suffering so I tip my hat to the uh, show creators who really kind of honored the source material by making that bloated goiter because it's so integral I think to the terrifying nature of Captain Tropes but also it's so gross it's just and it's so sad because you die in such an undignified way you just look so disgusting and uh, truly horrifying, but I'm really, really glad that that was a part of everything. So the second thing I, I think, well, third, third thing, um, this is kind of a double one. So I have mentioned in earlier episodes how I'm pretty sure my favorite character in all of Stephen King, um, is Bill Denbro from It!, but honestly, I think my second favorite, if not if it's not Bobby Garfield from um, the Hearts in Atlantis, Low Men in Yellow Coats, I rounding out the top three, it's got to be Mother Abigail. Like I absolutely adore this lady. She is such a strong symbol for light and good, and so I'm freaking out in with excitement and giddiness over. Of Mother Abigail, and I'm really excited for Whoopi Goldberg's portrayal of her. I am so into it. I love the whole look. I love the white dreadlocks. I love everything. Um, so I'm super excited about Mother Abigail. She is wonderful. She's a wonderful aspect of the novel. Um, and I just think she's one of the coolest Stephen King characters. This is a little bit of a, just a thing. But, so, Mother Abigail, her full name, I don't know her middle name, but Abigail Fremantle is her name. I forgot that, and so when I was watching the show, I was like, oh my god, Fremantle. Edgar Fremantle is the character, the main character in Duma Key, which is a novel I absolutely adore. 
I know that similar last names really don't mean much in the King universe, but just entertaining myself a little bit, I was like, oh my god, if they're descendants, if Edgar's a descendant from Mother Abigail, I'm just all about it. I'm all about it because I adore Mother Abigail Fremantle so much, and then I also love Edgar Fremantle so much, so I really hope they're related because... I am all about both of them. Uh, so yeah, just a little sort of connection there. Um, but I'm really, I'm loving Mother Abigail. And on that same side, guys, the same, I think Mother Abigail is the queen of our chessboard and the king is Randall Flagg. And I am very excited for the casting choice because I'm a huge, huge fan of Alexander Skarsgård and have been since he was a fantastic vampire king on HBO's True Blood. So if you've watched HBO's True Blood, hopefully you've seen that he's pretty awesome and super badass as Eric Northman, a wonderful character, lots of fun. That show is delightful. So I've been a fan for quite a bit, and he's all kinds of right in terms of being cast for the the dark man and I'm thrilled to see him in this role and uh, I love the wardrobe I love the hair I love the overall vibe granted in this first episode there wasn't a lot of Mr. Flag more on that in just a second but I was extremely excited for the casting choice of both Mother Abigail and Randall Flag I was those those two were the one that got were the choices that got me the most excited for the show because I really feel those two are our light and our dark. They are you know the two sides of the sandwich. They are the chessboard for sure. So strong casting for those two really won my heart over. So I am thrilled for both portrayals, and I just hope we get a lot more from them because they're my favorites. Um, the other thing I really enjoyed on this pilot episode is I love set design. I really try to appreciate all aspects of film adaptations, and the dream sequences are such a huge aspect of the stand novel, and so I like how we have the symbol of the wolf for Randall Flagg, which is all over the novel, but I like that we have one of the coolest scenes inside the pilot episode is a dream for Harold Lauder, and he dreams of sort of a deserted desert landscape, and there's these neon sort of silhouettes of women very, very reminiscent of the Vegas hub where Mr. Flag is going to be gathering and uh, setting up shop. And then the wolf appears. And so the wolf is just such a cool, huge, wonderful symbol, but I love how they're tying in Vegas and what Flag is and the symbol of the wolf, the desert, the wandering of Flag up and down the country. Then we also have the wonderful cornfield, which is 
completely associated with Mother Abigail's farm. And so I'm really enjoying how they're nailing those very key setting choices and especially doing the dream sequences uh, very strongly. So I was excited about that. Set design is pretty cool thus far. I'm liking what they're doing. So I'm super excited. Um, in the show previews, they're showing a lot of flags sort of a hot spot in Las Vegas creating his sort of Babylonian epicenter where all of the flag followers are going to be gathering so very very uh, old school but I'm, I'm all about it so I'm excited to see how they make Las Vegas flags Vegas because I'm a huge Vegas fan in general it's one of my favorite places to go so I'm thrilled to see how they're gonna make it like this Babylonian um, epicenter for the evil or the dark side um, but the the setting thus far and the dream sequences are really really working for me so yeah so we've got uh, in terms of pros looking at the episode I'm thrilled that Captain Trips wasn't the main focus they didn't go the disaster route I love the bloated goiter I know that that sounds so it's such a gross phrase it's so gross guys but I mean the the fact that I just said that sentence I love the bloated goiter. but I do I'm so glad that they incorporated that it's so key to the story it's unforgettable to all readers of the novel. I'm so glad it's featured. I'm also tremendously excited that there is a strong character focus overall. We're just zooming in right on these guys that we're going to be following for a while. And I'm equally super duper uh, thrilled about Mother Abigail, an amazing king character, and Randall Flagg. So those two casting choices have me salivating for more, friends. I'm super excited. And set design dream sequences. I love the symbolic elements they're putting in there. Loving all of that. So that's what's working for me in this opening pilot. And now, if we can, I'd like to take a look at our cons, the things that maybe weren't my favorite or that I'm having a few concerns over. So the first con I have is that this episode is a little Harold heavy. So Harold Louder is the character I feel got the most attention this episode, and Harold is a little bit of a, well, bless him, he's, he's very socially awkward. He is a very, he's a character, to say the least. He's, he's bullied a lot. He's really has, I think, the the viewer's sympathy for the most part, but at the same time, there's a little bit of distrust there for Harold. But what I'm concerned about is this was just so heavily focused on him. Um, really, like, a lot of screen time was on him. In the press that I've read thus far um, discussing the show, it's been said that the first four episodes of The Stand are going to be um, very character heavy, 
and then after the first four, sort of when everybody gets their introduction, then the plot will start moving a lot quicker now that we have our introduction to everybody. So everyone's getting their own spotlight, but I wonder if that was wise for the pilot because I felt that Harold is such a perplexing, kind of unsettling character, which I, I think his content was fine. It was totally what the character needed as far as showing what he's about, but I wish it would have been maybe episode two. I, I kind of wish there would have been a little bit less Harold and a little bit more setting the scene for what's going down. Um, maybe a little bit more Stu. We do have Stu Redmond uh, focused, which is good, um, but uh, just a, maybe a little less Harold, a little less Harold, because um, it was a little Harold heavy, and Harold is such an odd guy that it was kind of like, hmm. So I just had a little bit of concern there. The other thing is that I wanted more uh, Mother Abigail and I wanted more Flag and I think they should have been emphasized a little bit more instead of Harold. Um, I think that maybe we could have had more dream sequences or something. Um, we do get a really awesome little teaser of Randall Flag at the end of the episode which I felt was done really well. But I was kind of hungry for more of him throughout the episode. So it's hard to kind of, granted, this is what's kind of hard about analyzing the pilot, is I don't know the master plan. All I'm really kind of trying to suss out is how the episode made me feel. And in the previews, Flag is featured prominently as like the dark man. Like he is the big bad. And then Mother Abigail is our bright light. And so I kind of wish that they would have been featured just a skosh more. Um, for example, I wish we could have maybe started the episode with Flag walking on the highway. Um, because the big aspect of Flag's presence in the novel that I've read thus far is him wandering the earth and just wandering the roads like a grifter. Is it grifter or drifter? I don't, I, I feel, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on if grifter is a word. We'll, we'll, we'll say drifter because I know drifter is a word. Um, drifter, so he's, but because Randall Flag is our symbolic devil, it's so, it makes so much sense um, as Flag wandering because very much like the devil who said in the Bible as, um, he is someone who wanders the earth seeking that which he can devour. And so I would have liked if maybe uh, Flag could have started us off um, and then we could have gone into Captain Trips and then the audience might have had a direct connection to like, oh, this that guy walking, like what's, he, he must be the bringer of all this. Granted, this is just me pretending to be show writer, so <laughs> I'm indulging in my own fantasies a little bit, but I do wish that Flag and Mother Abigail were featured just a tiny bit more because some of the complaints I've heard about, not necessarily complaints, but observations in some of the moderately negatively tinged press on the show is that we do have some pretty big um, 
Well, we have some frequent time jumps, and uh, so nothing wrong with time jumps or flashbacks or anything like that, but I, I feel when you start jumping with time and your audience doesn't have an accurate foundation of what's going on, that's when you get those little cracks in the cement a little bit where they're like, what? Um, so I think with the pilot, there was an opportunity to set a firmer foundation. And honestly, you gotta really be simple with these shows. Like, this is the bad guy. Enter in the plague. This is the good woman. You know, enter in the the light side trying to sneak in as the bad side is wrecking havoc on everyone. Then we can kind of go into the individual characters because um, right away your audience has a foundation of good versus evil. However, also what I've noticed they do with Stephen King adaptations is they just assume people have read the book, which is totally fine. They, especially with a novel as old as this, like more than 30 years old, I think that they're definitely just like, read the book. If you haven't read the book, not our problem. So there's also that. I think that there's, there's that too, is, is they just want people to either have read the book previously, and if you haven't, then your loss, we're not going to um, spell anything out for you or sugarcoat anything for you. So there's also that. Um, so I don't blame them for that as well if that's the direction they want to take it, but I always try to look at an adaptation as if somebody's never read it before. Um, so that way you have the maximum amount of runway to sell this story or sell the heart of the plot of the novel um, because I think for the most part people who know the stand vaguely and know it's a Stephen King work um, they're just oh yeah it's about like a virus that wipes out the world but what they also need to know is that it's brought by a great evil that flag is this immense evil um, basically expunging the planet and going to create, you know, his own army to take over, to rule all. And that, yes, this is about a plague, it's about a virus, but the virus is, in the, in the grand scheme of things, very small. And this is a good versus evil story, which is why all those who follow Mother Abigail, it's about making a stand against evil. And if that, I, I think that that should be the foundation of the first episode. Like, yes, this is about a plague, but this is about evil coming to the earth in a really grandiose way. And the power of light is also positioning its pieces to fight it. So I'm kind of wishing we would have had that a little bit stronger, just a tiny bit. Because what we do have is a lot of focus on this really awkward, odd young man who has some unrequited feelings um, for uh, a girl named Franny who used to babysit him as a young boy and uh, the world's over and he's thinking that this will, you know, be the chance, which kind of is how it goes down in the novel. But again, too much heaviness on Harold in this, in this uh, first episode, in my opinion. Second con... Um, this is tiny, but so in our first 
Mother Abigail dream, which I loved so much, it's Franny. And Franny is in the cornfield in this dream. Mother Abigail appears, tells her, please come to see me in Hemingford home, Colorado. I was sad, guys, because uh, although Colorado is a setting, it's a hotspot for activity in the novel, Mother Abigail lives in Hemingford Home, Nebraska, and there are a lot of cornfields in Nebraska. I'm sure there are a cornfield or two in Colorado, but the cornfield is associated with Nebraska. Like, that is American geography. That is the heartland. Cornfields are in that area of the country. Why did they say Colorado? why? (laughs) So for me, I was like, damn it. So I don't know why that made me so mad. It just, well, it ruffled my feathers feathers a little bit. I wouldn't say I was mad. I was just like, why couldn't they just set in Nebraska? Like why? She lives in Hemingford Home, Nebraska, because in Colorado, I feel Colorado is associated with the Rockies and winter and, you know, more mountainous terrain corn and the Nebraska flatlands like that's Mother Abigail's entire thing and the setting for her I I'm just like oh why didn't they keep it Nebraska like so I feel the corn imagery is so key it's so essential to the Mother Abigail dreams and the visions and so I'm like I can't associate cornfield to Colorado. I am having a hard time with that. So I'm a little upset (laughs) um, by that. That I know sounds like a very small potato, but when we're dealing with adaptations, I do feel that's kind of a big deal. Like I don't, I don't think anybody associates cornfields for Colorado. We don't. It's a snowy, mountainous place full of hikers and beer and, you know, it's, it's an, uh, a flat cornfield stuff is in that, is in the Nebraska area of, of the country. At least, you know, it just is, guys. So I was a little sad about that. I really wish that they just could have kept Nebraska. So, uh, yeah, um, I know that's kind of small, but it, it was big for me. It really was. I think it's big because Mother Abigail is big. She is, she's, she's the book, guys. Like, she is, you know, the queen of light. She is our, our prophet to the guy upstairs. Like, she's the lady. Her farm and her location, I think, is very, very important. So, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they'll make it work. We'll see what goes down. Maybe they'll tie it in to, uh, maybe it'll be okay. So, um, I'm just gonna put that there, and uh, hopefully it doesn't really cause too many more issues. So, that's uh, that. So, um, my last little con is the the time jumps. So I'm okay with them. However, there's one time jump in particular that I felt was done. Uh, I question why they did it this way. So this is a little bit of a spoiler. So please pause now if you haven't watched the episode. But toward the end of the first episode, we are in um, the Boulder, Colorado area. And Harold walks to the main little community area, and there is a 
significantly pregnant, so we're looking at maybe like a six months pregnant Franny, which is uh, part of her character's journey. Stu is next to her, kind of in a um, closer, close proximity to where you know they are most likely a couple at this point, or having romantic feelings for each other, which again is part of the character journey for both of them. But um, my mom, uh, you know, a total person who's never read The Stand, has no idea what's going on, she thought it was um, Stu's baby. So she was just kind of like, oh, you know, when did they have time to hook up and make a baby in that? And so I was kind of like, um, I wonder if maybe we should have waited just a skosh on introducing a heavily pregnant um, or significantly pregnant Franny next to Stu like that, putting them in conjunction to each other. It was, that was a big one, especially since a lot of people the subtle reveal of Franny's pregnancy in the episode, it's its very subtle, and all they do is just zoom in on her stomach next to a slice of pie on the counter. There's a little bit of a prolonged focus there, and had you not read the novel, you have zero idea, and you're probably not even looking at her stomach, you're looking at the slice of pie. So I was kind of like, okay, it's totally fine to show Franny pregnant, but I think that was a little too much too soon, um, a little bit for, for that time jump. I think maybe they shouldn't start pairing characters together so soon. Um, so for me, I was like, mm, okay, a little bit, little bit, that's a big bite of food there. That's a big chunk that they did with that scene. And so I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we should have just showed Franny by herself. Um, just so that way nobody, yeah, um, just for clarity's sake, like Franny by herself, she could have had her little chat with Harold, and we could have seen that things had massively cooled between them. I mean, not that they were ever really warm between them. Um, Harold, of course, wanted them to be, but Franny, we, we just know, was not about that. Um, so I kind of think that was a big bite, and I wish that flashback wouldn't have been as meaty, but a little bit more delicate. Or flash forward, I'm sorry. So I wish that flash, well, flash forward, flashback, I'm getting myself confused. Um, the scene in which we are, um, present day, which I think is five months, um, into the future from the start of the virus we do, I think I wish that we would have had Franny by herself instead of next to Stu. Um, it was a pretty loaded scene, a lot going on with that, a little maybe too much. So that is uh, kind of all I have for the cons. I think that it was a little too heavy for Harold. I wish there would have been more balance or more Mother Abigail and more Randall Flagg to kick us off. I do really wish that it was Hemingford Home, Nebraska, guys. I know that setting is small, but for me, I associate cornfields with Nebraska, so I am not okay <laughs> with uh, with that at all. Um, I am okay with the you know, flash forwards, flashbacks. I'm all right with that. I think they do need to be done a little bit cautiously, um, not revealing too much too soon. Um, and causing a lot of audience questions too quickly. Um, again, I, I am concerned that this adaptation is kind of taking the, if you haven't read the book, then screw you kind of approach. 
I'm hoping they don't, but they might, which is okay. They're allowed to do that. It's totally fine. Um, but yeah, overall, guys, overall, it made me excited. Um, so I, I was really okay with the first episode. I was excited for it. I really enjoyed many things, much more things than I disliked for sure. I am happy that we do have some Stephen King fans directing this show. One of the standout things that I really enjoyed concerning the character of Harold, he he put his rejection letters on a nail over his writing desk, a stack of them. And for those of us constant readers who know about King, we know that that's exactly what King has said he did in the past, just specifically in the memoir on writing. He would sort of tack his rejection letters on a nail and just keep a stack of them there, and they were motivation for him. So the character of Harold did that exact same thing, and I just felt sort of warm and fuzzy, like, okay, these are King fans. These are people who love Mr. King. Um, that passion is there, and they're sort of giving a nod to those who love King's work as well as King himself. So I really enjoyed that part. There's also a little um, Cemetery Dance publication. There's a rejection letter from Cemetery Dance, which is a publication company associated with King work. So yeah, there was a lot of nice little nod nods to Stephen King fans, which I really, really appreciated. It's always nice to see those. But yeah, guys, I enjoyed this first episode. I um, am excited for more Flag and more Mother Abigail. They are my favorites, and I'm excited for uh, a couple other. I I'm really excited for Trash Can Man, as a lot of uh, us are out there. I, he's just such a nut job. So I'm looking forward to um, Ezra Miller. I think I might be getting his name wrong. I love that actor. He's wonderful. So I'm excited for. Um, trash can man. I'm excited for Nadine. I have a couple favorite characters that I'm really looking forward to their portrayals. Um, Glenn Bateman. I'm I am excited, guys, so I'm hoping that the series goes well. I think, given my reading schedule, I'm not going to do any other coverage on the upcoming episodes, but we will do uh, some finale coverage. We'll take a look at where we have started and where we end up and all the good stuff. So I hope you guys are watching and uh, enjoying, and let me know what you think about the show or your thoughts on this pilot episode. I'd love to hear from you all. Feel free to reach out to underratedsk at gmail.com. Uh, say hi, give me some feedback on the show. Uh, if you have any suggestions, recommendations, all that good stuff, I'd love to hear from you. And I do check that inbox fairly often. Um, if you are a fan of the show and you haven't already, I would so appreciate a five star on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like to say something nice in a review, I would love you forever. That would be immensely kind. Um, but please say hi on any of the socials. Thank you all so much for listening and uh, please enjoy your holiday season as best you can. I know this one is super gnarly given all the things, especially if you're here in America. It is not fun guys, um, but really it's just sucking everywhere. So I hope that you're enjoying your holidays as much as we can and it's definitely making my holiday a little bit better now that we have a Stephen King adaptation to enjoy and analyze. So 
much love to you all much health and safety and sanitary six feet apart hugs uh please take care and i'll talk to you guys soon Bye bye